Everybody runs from death. We are death adverse. Embrace it. It is going to happen. And if you start talking to the family sooner than later, it's going to be super helpful. Everyone loves a puppy, but what about the old dog? Welcome to a brand new episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show, a part of the VEDEX Leaders Community Online. In each episode, we explore ideas and subjects you can use to manage your veterinary practice better and be a better leader. I'm your resident asker of questions, Brendan Howard, and today the doctor obsessed with the oldsters is Mary Gardner. She helped pioneer with co-founder Dr. Danny McVitie, Lap of Love, which does at-home euthanasias nationwide. But here, we're talking about Dr. Gardner's new book, It's Never Long Enough, A Practical Guide to Caring for Your Geriatric Dog, which includes euthanasia, but is about the life of aging dogs for years before that as well. It covers so many of the questions your clients may forget to ask in the exam room. So, what inspired Mary, with practice and multiple businesses in her portfolio, to write this book? I mean, the book is like 500 pages. Somebody referred to it as War and Peace recently. <laughs> it is giant. I looked at the proof and I'm, I counted through. I'm like, oh, it really is 500 pages. Yeah. <laughs> and I tried to shrink it down a little bit, but there's a lot. And okay, so to your question though, like, yes, why? <laughs> yes, why was this the topic? That, like, boom, this is the big book I want to do. This is it. Okay, well, as a end of life veterinarian, which I've been doing for almost 12 years now, a lot of people think that I must be really, really sad, really maybe crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Like, how could you imagine euthanizing animals all day? And granted, there 100% comes tears with my job. I'm bawling with every client half the time. Well, not bawling, but there's a tear. Yeah. But if it's a Doberman, I'm going to cry a lot more because I like Dobermans. (laughs) But that's not necessarily what got me upset. What would get me sad for my appointments is that when I would go to see a family for a euthanasia or a hospice visit, I could tell, and and they told me that they had not been to their doctor in in at least a year. Okay. That's what bothered me. I'm like, oh my gosh, we could do so much. But there's the standard of like, well, what what is my doctor going to say? They're just going to tell me he's old. Yeah. His liver and kidneys are not good. Yeah, his appetite is decreasing. And when I'm in this home, I I see that the house could have been set up a little bit better for that pet and the family. Yeah. That, you know, the pet parents were sleeping in the living room with their dog or their cat, whatever it may be. You know, there's another younger sibling that's knocking them over. <laughs> so that would make me sad is that that pet and that family could have gotten help. I actually, a number of years ago, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just focusing on the negative, right? We could all like, we get a bad review when we focus on it. But I was like, am I just seeing these more or what's going on? So I asked for help from Vet Success. They are a data intelligence company and uh-huh. they connect into practice management software around the country. And so we looked at 9 million pets in regular clinics, not lap of love families, right? over 9 million pets. And half of them when they were euthanized, had not been to their doctor in the 12 months before. Almost 60% were not to their doctor six months before they passed. And for a pet's last 12 months, like that's like our last decade. It's a lot that, you know, imagine not going to your doctor when you turn 85 ever again. (laughs) So 
This is going to ask you to do some guesswork because I love the fact that you had the data that says, okay, we could tell how long it had been before they sort of called us in for euthanasia, how long since they'd been to their family veterinarian. Anecdotally, when you would talk to people about why that happened, did you feel like the primary problem was not that these people probably weren't shrugged off, but they either misunderstood something or where was the disconnect? Because I know those veterinarians probably would have been happy to see that aging pet. So where was the disconnect? Great question. I think there's a number, there's an onion to this that we can go back. On the veterinarian's side or the clinic side, take a look at all marketing, at websites, at social media. It's all puppies and kittens and young dogs. It's That's our focus for marketing is get them in with a puppy package and a kitten package, right? (laughs) And I mean, that's reality. Sure. Why put a janky looking cat on your website? Like, let's put a pretty one or a pretty dog or, you know, something that doesn't look like it's on its last legs. And I bet it works for, as you said, I don't like to dwell on the negative. And also they said people who think I'm the euthanasia doc think I'm all dark and depressed. So if if you put up a bunch of janky cats and dogs, there's also a chance that maybe you would know for sure. or Maybe you would turn off the average pet owner. Maybe the average pet owner wants to see a young, vibrant puppy and kitten. You're right. So I think a little bit of marketing. Now, you might have read this part of my book, so maybe I shouldn't ask you that, or I just proved that you didn't read it. But (laughs) in the statistics that we did, we segregated all the pets into the different age ranges. So puppies and kittens, adults, senior, and geriatric. And the majority of pets, over 30% of pets are in the double digits. So we should be dedicating 30% of our web pages, 30% of our newsletters, 30% of our social to the oldies. And we just don't normally. So now here you are as a pet parent and you go look at a website and you might look at services and you click on, you know, senior care. What does it say? All it says is pets age faster than humans. Basically, I'm, I'm like, <laughs> right. Okay. Pets age fast. So bring them in so we can do some blood work and x-rays to uncover the diseases that are going to be there. That's exactly what they look like. (laughs) Exactly what it says. Except for Roundwood Vets because he sat in my class and he he changed his website. He did. I was like, Dr. Dave, what are you doing up in the front row sending emails? He's like, I'm writing notes. I'm redoing my website right now. But anyway, so our marketing or our education on websites is total crap. It's just about coming in for blood work and x-rays and, and uncovering the diseases. It's not, it's not capturing what their problems are. So if, if you ask a, a lab owner who's a nine-year-old lab what some of their problems are, eh, it might be some, some mobility issues starting up, a little, a little hitch in my giddy-up. You ask that same owner at 13, you know, when their dog is 13, what are your problems? Well, he pants and paces all night. He sometimes has incontinence. Now when we leave home, he gets anxious. He's not eating as much. It's, I cannot get him in the car at all now. You know, he can't get up the stairs. He, he trips. He go, you know, it's a litany of problems that they're dealing with. And there may not be a disease diagnosed. But if they're sitting there at night or in the day and searching for help and searching for products to use and whatnot, it's not on our veterinary websites. All it's doing is saying, come on in for blood work and x-rays. It's not saying, hey, does your dog pant or pace your night? Does your cat do this <laughs> every night? Right. I bet you if you had somebody do that, they'd be like, yep, that's my cat. <laughs> like, <laughs> so 
you know, are you looking for a harness? Here's how you should measure your harnesses. Here's the best booties available. You have an incontinent dog. Here's some tips and tricks. I challenge you guys all to find websites that do a really good job with that type of education. So that's the big part. The parents don't know what to come in for. And now I see, again, the typical thing is an otherwise healthy animal that is experiencing a disease, a syndrome, something's wrong. We're going to get to the bottom of it and we're going to heal it with, with surgery or pharmaceuticals. What you're talking about is what wanders into like that gray area where some veterinarians are really into quote unquote client education and pet products and behavior. Those are like special zones of interest for veterinarians. And I feel like for some veterinarians, some veterinary practices, they just don't focus on selling products. They don't focus on recommending products that don't have to do with things other than a prescription. So I wonder, do you hope this book gets a bunch of pet owners out there who recognize these problems and then go to their veterinarians or go someplace else? What what do you see is going to happen? So my book is twofold. Okay. It is to help pet owners. I don't really talk about the uh, specific diseases because I don't care if you've got you've got arthritis, a disc disease, hip dysplasia, elbow dysplasia. I don't care what your or muscle wasting, right? Like sarcopenia. I don't care what the disease is. I care that you've got a dog with a mobility issue. Okay. How do you set up your house? What yoga mats do you do? Should you have the food bowl elevated or shouldn't you? Like I had to help them with the products. And a lot of veterinarians, they don't have the benefit of going into somebody's home. And after going into thousands of homes, looking at all the tile floors and the stairwells, and they're just completely, they don't get it that this is an ice rink to your dog. Like, <laughs> And so the veterinarians can't see the home environment. So I want to be able to provide, I, I provided tips for the, for the pet owner to set up their home what products I might recommend. And also question, every single chapter has questions you should ask your veterinarian and things to expect or, or look for, or when, hey, when things progress to this extent, you know, you definitely should see your veterinarian. I definitely want them to go to their vet because they're not. And I think we could, the sooner we get them help, pets will live better longer. I don't care about, I mean, I care about the length of time. Sure. But I, I want the quality of time to be the best. I feel like there's a conflict. We know it's demonstrable. There's a conflict in the human medical world between doctors who want to heal and are kind of fighting death and doctors who are not. And veterinarians, because they have to experience and see euthanasia because these pets live such shorter lives and euthanasia is legal and totally permissible and ethical good in many cases, they don't wind up in the situation where doctors in the medical side have said euthanasia or we need to be focused on keeping people alive as long as possible. That happens far less in the veterinary world. But still, what you're talking about quality of life, when I think some practitioners and some people in the medical field always feel it's a bit, they maybe they feel bad. It's like giving up in some cases. So do you ever run into that? Yeah. Either, Brendan, giving up or... The worst to me is they have accused me of prolonging suffering. Okay. And that really bothers me. <laughs> that is, I got, you know, oh, that's. The doctor who specifically built a business to help people have euthanasia, they accuse you of prolonging suffering. Correct. Okay. They, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right. It's shocking to me because there are so many things that we do in veterinary medicine that one might say, well, is that prolonging suffering? Right. Like not to get down that debate, but some people think chemotherapy is. 
And by the way, I've just got done with chemo for my own dog. So I'm not saying that. <laughs> right, right. But but there's a lot that we do that, that somebody might say could be considered that. And it's not about giving up. It is about caring for that pet and that family. We may not be able to cure. We cannot cure aging. Can we prolong it? Yes. But guess what? My lower back hurts. I'm losing a little bit of my eyesight. I'm going gray too. And... <laughs> It's pretty sad, but I could go to a doctor and they're going to say, Mary, you have no disease, but aging does bring dis-ease and there are problems that are associated with aging, whether it's, you know, your lungs getting a little bit more stiff. That's not actually a disease, but that's a problem that happens as we get older. Our immune system decreases. Why? Because our bone marrow is not making as much, you know, like, is that a disease? Well, no, but this happens. We know that our, our livers and kidneys can't process drugs as well as we get older. Okay, well, that's it. We got to think about that. So for these geriatric pets, if the medication or surgery is appropriate and can help them, by all means, a thousand percent, I want to do it. Totally. But they're not coming in for some things because they're a little bit worried. What is he going to say? You know, what is Dr. Howard going to prescribe? He's just a 14-year-old lab. But you know what? I just want to keep them comfortable. And and there are times where I might help a dog, let's say with Cushing's, and they're like, I don't want to treat the Cushing's. I don't want to put them on Trilostane or whatever. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, now I've got an incontinent dog I have to help manage. And the biggest conversation is, when will I know his time? And I want to help owners have that discussion too. So my book, my book I've broken into four sections where the first is about aging. Like, why is it that the Great Dane doesn't usually make it to 12, yet the Chihuahua is only halfway through his life at 12. <laughs> right. And then I wonder, Brendan, you and I are big people. Like people may exactly. not off of our voices, but I'm 6'1". Like, am I going to die early? Because I'm the big girl. <laughs> <laughs> and that lower back, I'm feeling you. I'm yes. feeling you. You're tall. Your back's, putting, your back's doing a lot of work. There's a lot to move. Right. But just so you know, no, actually, it's a little bit inverse for us, so we're good. But what is it about dogs that they're aging so much faster? Is it seven years to one year? I talk about all of that. And I talk about the difference between a senior dog and a geriatric dog. And I don't know if you picked up on that, but I've got, it is a geriatric dog that my book is focused on. So that's the first section. The second section is all of the ailments. So decrease in vision, hearing, mobility, nutrition, appetite, things like that. I do have one chapter dedicated to laryngeal paralysis, which is a, a very specific geriatric problem with dogs mm -hmm. and, you know, cancer in general, but I'm not, I don't have a chapter on mast cell cancer. This is what cancer is. This is what chemo is. This is what radiation is. And it's okay if you want to do it or you don't want to do it, but know your options. And then the third chapter is about, you know, goals of care, about hospice, about, you know, should you take your 14-year-old dog to the veterinarian? Should you do vaccines? You know, he's old. What? You don't think he's got a year left. Why should you give him vaccines? Should you still do heartworm medication? All that. And then the last section is actually dedicated to the end of life. So I, will, I wanted to, you know, talk to the aspect of euthanasia, of natural passing, of all the different cremation options, and how to memorialize your pet and remember them on a good note. So that's why it's war and peace. <laughs> that's why you could not cut it because you had all this stuff you wanted to, you have all this stuff you wanted. 
I imagine there are always people who will take a very detailed nonfiction book like this that covers a uh-huh. wide range of things and they will read it cover to cover because that's just how they read. Is there a way in which you imagine this book could be deployed by a, if there's a veterinarian or veterinary team member who got excited about mm-hmm. working with senior and geriatric cats and dogs, senior and geriatric pets, that they would deploy it in a certain way, like read this chapter or people would buy this book. And then over the course of a 10, 15 year pet's life cycle, they would dip into it occasionally. How do you imagine it would get used? Yeah, that's a good question. And I do actually think that's why it's it's actually bigger than normal, because I knew that somebody's not going to exactly read it from cover, cover to cover. Like, right. Somebody may say, well, my dog's not incontinent, so I'm not going to read that section right. of incontinence, right? Or mobility issue or whatever it may be. So therefore, if I discussed something in mobility and now it's coming up again in cancer, um, I'm like, oh, geez, I have to do a little repeating right? <laughs> like, or make a valid point or talk about a certain product. You know, I talk about harnesses in mobility issues and laryngoparalysis. I wanted to make sure that somebody won't miss out if they had to skip some chapters. So it is definitely not a novel, although it does look it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't have to read it from beginning to end to get no. get a story. You don't. No. But I do sprinkle a ton of great stories in there because people can connect with the story. So over all these years, I've got some of the you know most common problems I see, like inappetence or how to create a bucket list. And I've got some amazing examples from the families in there. So if you've got a family that's doesn't care about aging because they got a, They have an 18-year-old dog. Well, skip part one. Let's go straight to cognition and incontinence. Right. And then also, how will I know it's time? So just check out the table of contents and, and you can tease out what's most important to you. If, if they are you know, 100% on board with euthanasia, then you don't have to read the natural dying process. You, know, you don't have to read the burial section, but everything's in there. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. I think people, maybe before veterinary school, but certainly once they've gone through veterinary school and practiced for a while, people develop a philosophy they have about all aspects of things in veterinary medicine and older pets, you can feel it. People are on a spectrum of whether they like to deal with this stuff or don't, mm. whether they love caring for older pets or whether they find it frustrating. 
do you find in the work you do where you think maybe you're coming in at the end, but obviously when you go in for some of these at-home euthanasia visits, it turns out not to be the time. And so you probably wind up having a conversation about how to care for an animal that's near the end of its life, but isn't at the end of its life. Do your values flex back and forth, or do you have a strong philosophy about what older pets are entitled to, or does that flex back and forth when you come into the context of that person's home and their views on pet ownership? Because obviously one view on one side of the spectrum is very yeah. extreme. Animals get old. We get old. This is what happens. I don't want to spend any money on it. There's nothing to be done. That's a heart hurt for some mm -hmm. veterinarians. So what happens to your values when you enter into these contexts? That's probably one of the best questions I've ever been asked. <laughs> because Well, great. <laughs> You get an A plus on being a host. I got to tell you, it has definitely changed. My values haven't changed. My approach to things and also how I pillow my head at night has changed Okay. over the decade. I think, you know, I graduated in 2008 and, you know, everybody says, oh, you're in the ivory tower when you're in vet school, which is absolutely true. You're in a place where there's MRIs. There's people are coming to the vet school to see the specialists. Yeah. That's not reality. I mean, to an extent it is, but not every day GP practice. And so I did do GP practice and I loved it. I was not running away from GP practice. There was just a pull to end of life. Yeah. That is a part of my story and why I even became a veterinarian. So it just, I felt so led to it. And, you know, by God, I love a kitten. I love me a puppy. Well, puppy <laughs> be a pain in the butt. But you give me this old you know, cranky looking dog. Like I go nuts for gray eyed dog, like bonkers. You give me this little scrappy cat. That's all skin and bone and a whisker. And yeah. like, I've lost it. Like I just, I love it. <laughs> and so there's that. But so your, your question on values and philosophies and, and does it change a hundred percent? Like it has my own way of managing these pets has definitely changed and probably for the last eight years, though, I've been pretty solid at it. But in the beginning of doing Lap of Love, I was shocked at times going into homes. I was like, oh, oh my gosh, I wish they called me six months ago to do this. Like, I can't believe. And guess what? They thought Mother Nature was going to do it for them. They were hoping for them to die on their own. Nobody talked to them that, hey, guess what? You have a mobility dog. It's Mother Nature's going to be not really so fast or friendly with this one. Right? Like, but they haven't had the conversation. Or they've got this old crinkly cat that's, uh, you know, kidney failure. And they're like, well, you know, my doctor said it, it's, you know, it's not really painful. And I'm like, well, <laughs> four years ago when it was diagnosed, it wasn't painful. Yeah. But now we've got some issues. So there are times where I've gone into homes where I'm like, oh, gosh, I, I wish they called me sooner. I would, and, and that is a whole conversation on, on how not to make a family feel judged. But there are times where I have gone into homes and I say, ooh, you know what? I think we could do some good here and the family's up for it and I'm not going to prolong suffering. You know, those to those who said that I'm actually going to take away suffering and still have some good life. Is it going to be like he was two years ago? Heck no. But you know, can he still go outside and smell the roses and go for a walk two houses down and come back and enjoy some TLC at home? Yes. And that I will help a family with. Now, there are times where I will go to homes and I want to do that, but they are still wanting to euthanize. Yeah. And I think that, you know, veterinarians will really struggle with that. So when I'm helping them with quality of life assessment, or like when I'm helping veterinarians with quality of life assessments, like this is how you should do it. You know, there is a moment in time where, where we 
we all are not comfortable euthanizing this animal. It's a, you know, perfectly fine nine-year-old lab. Uh-uh. On the far other end, it's the time where I'm like, please listen to me. It's time. Like, I, we have to do this. Like, this is bad. If we don't euthanize, I'm going to sedate this dog really well so that way he's not feeling anything. And in between, Brendan, is, is a subjective time period that could be weeks to months to a year even where it's okay to say goodbye and it's also okay to not say goodbye. And there should be no judgment. The irony is I probably help families say goodbye sooner than later because I think it's challenging for them to care for them. You know, of course, there's a monetary budget to caring for your pet, but there's a physical budget, an emotional budget, a time budget. And those usually get sucked up fast with families that that I don't think a lot of vets appreciate how much time and physical and mental, you know, abilities it takes a family. I will talk about that. I will say, can you come home every six hours to let your dog out? If not, you're coming home to a massive puddle. You know, you, you have to give these heart meds every four hours. If you can't do that, then it's okay. No judgment. We should say goodbye and we're going to make it good. So I have probably guided families sooner than later because also the other thing is I worry about the very end and they crash and I don't want a family to be rushing to the emergency room and saying goodbye in a horrible way. Now, my own pets, uh, many of my veterinarian friends are like, uh, you're, are you really going to do radiation and chemo on your <laughs> eight-year-old? And I'm like, yep. And I give a lecture on uh, laryngeal paralysis and, and a surgery called a tieback, right? And I, nobody knows it's my dog that I'm giving my example. I'm like, oh, we have a 10-year-old Doberman that's got laryngeal paralysis. You know, who here would do a tieback? And like, no one raises their hands. And I'm like, why wouldn't you guys suggest a tieback? And they're like, he's too old. And I'm like, well, he is my dog. <laughs> and, and we did a tieback. Right. He lived another three years until he went to heart failure. So I probably, for my own pets, do a lot more than I may even suggest to pet owners, unless they wanted to. But I know I have the capacity to do it. And it's not about money. It's I've got all the tools. I've got the knowledge. I know how to assess quality of life. So I'm really good at it. And I'm also ready to say goodbye at any moment's notice. Like I, I've got the, the equipment and I, I'm very much a, that there, if there is a drop of water in a glass, that's that glass is full. <laughs> I got hope. You're right. You are in a unique, obviously you're uniquely positioned to not have to worry about what happens if mm. I let this go another week or another month. And then, as you said, there's a terrible crash and then the animal has to go some time before I can get this cat or dog properly, yeah. kindly euthanized because I can't do that. When you talk about aging pets with clients, how often is it you have had years to think about how to navigate You've watched many, many pets die, and most pet owners have not watched many, many pets die. Mm -hmm. So they don't really know. Everyone is almost a new thing for them unless they've gone through many, many pets and have experienced this. How often is it, like with a book like this, how many people do you think read this and maybe actually don't know anything about pets getting old because they just haven't experienced it and they certainly haven't had somebody explain it to them? Oh, a lot. It's their first time. Okay. A lot. But even just like once all the way through, you feel like that gives you a lot of perspective as a pet owner. Listen, I think I became a much better veterinarian after dealing with all of my own animals going through the crowd yeah. and euthanizing them. And, and I lost one of my Dobermans and he died without me. I came home and he was dead. Like 
going through that yeah. has helped me talk to families who want natural passing. So I think we learn so much through that because a lot of people, if they're, you know, let's say you're, you go through vet school and you graduate when you're, let's say 26, 27. You got suckered into your surgery dog, right? Like in, in vet school. So now you've got this dog. And so when you're in your mid thirties, now they're ready to pass. Like you yourself don't know how to assess quality of life. You are on denial Island. Like it could be a first time for, for many veterinarians, but for owners, it's quite common that it's their first time or it's also it's now they're a family and they don't know what to tell their kids. Cause it's their, you know, they've never dealt with a, dying anything to tell their seven-year-old child. I don't know if I answered your question. I started going off in another. Well, the, the euthanasia, that's always a massive issue. But as the animals get older, do you think the stuff that kind of falls under this umbrella of getting old yeah. just feels like amorphous and vague and it's not clear on what's treatable and what's able to be softened that most people can't look at a cat or dog and figure out exactly how to help this cat or dog as it changes, it used to be able to do this. And now I, I can't look in the cat's head. I can't tell why it can't do this anymore. So now I'm very frustrated and confused and I don't know. <laughs> it's, listen, it's, it's chaotic, right? Like <laughs> it's not easy. And sometimes I'm stuck in that too, right? And we don't know what is right. And what's really hard for some veterinarians and human doctors too, is we may not always know the diagnosis. We may never figure, and it's probably more so in veterinary medicine because of money. We're not going to work this up. Yeah. And so now you've got a cat and this happens a lot in my world. I go to a home and they're like, well, I don't know why he's peeing all over the house. And I'm like, neither do I, right? <laughs> right. I, you know, I missed out on the magic ball that they gave out to everybody. So I don't know if he's got Cushing's or diabetes or whatever else is wrong. And that's frustrating sometimes. And, you know, when I'm recruiting new doctors, I see you got to be okay with not knowing also and just treating symptoms. I, I treat a lot of symptoms in, in hospice care. And sometimes when I can manage those symptoms really well and the pet turns out to start to do better, then the families are like, oh, okay, he's been sleeping through the night all week. Let's do some diagnostics. Let's try to figure something out. But when you are hopeless and you feel helpless and you're dealing with all these problems on top of each other, Sometimes they just don't want to go for the diagnosis and figuring it out. And that can be really frustrating. So I think you do learn over time to recognize some things. I think we do get at Lapa Love a couple of veterinarians that are in vet school or, or you know, vet students rather that want to yeah. join us right away. And I'm like, you're alone in a house, you know, with no other colleagues to help you out. Like you got to be able to not give a diagnosis, but say, hey, these are the six things I might think it is. And all of them are not good. <laughs> It's okay. It does take over time. You start to recognize things. You also, it's also recognize reading a family is a gift. I think I might have, I, that sounds so not humble, but I could read a room pretty good and I could read a family pretty good or what they're, who's ready, who's done, who is at their wits end and who is still fighting for this. And it's usually one of each of the family. <laughs> Can I ask you, at the beginning of this, you kind of gave this example. I appreciate it. You gave VedEx founder Dave Nickel, who's sitting there taking notes and like, I'm listening, I'm processing, I'm going to go change my website. When you stand in front of veterinary practice managers, veterinary technicians, veterinary associates, and veterinary practice owners, and you talk about older pets, 
Is there a particular thing you hope, one thing you hope that they leave that conference or turn off that Zoom meeting and sit back and go start in either investigating this or go change this one thing right now or go back and ask your team if they do this one thing? Is there one thing that you wish people would do if maybe they think maybe we don't focus enough on older pets? I know that's hard because you just wrote a 500-page book to pet owners about all the things they can do. So, right. uh, Put my book in your front room. No. <laughs> okay. Well, I'd like to answer this in two parts. I think okay. if I was to say the full umbrella of geriatric and end of life, if there's one thing I wish people did on their website and educate the team and educate the family and stuff like that is really good how will I know is time education families freaking struggle with this. And someone in the clinic is going to say, don't worry, Brandon, you'll know. Well, (laughs) you don't know, you know, like you don't always know. And the only time you truly know when a family's like, holy crap, it's time. That means that pet is really freaking bad. That means that pet is suffering hard and they're scrambling to get them into the clinic because they can't imagine another day like this. That's not how I want them to end. Yeah. If I was to say, if I could only have one wish, yes, it, that would be it. I think I'm the, you know, I'm the, my self-appointed queen of quality of life discussions because that is my most common question I get. And it's not just from pet owners. I have veterinarians calling me all the time saying, this is my own pet. What do you think? When is it time? How will I know? Like, because at the core of it, we're first pet owners and then we're second veterinarians. So having someone in your clinic, whether it's a, a wonderful veterinary technician that can talk about assessing quality of life, like that's, that's invaluable because every pet dies, right? Every pet dies. Not every pet's going to get insurance. Not every pet's going to get microchipped, but everybody at the clinic knows how to talk about microchipping. But Everybody runs from death. We are death adverse and embrace it. It is going to happen. And if you start talking to the family sooner than later, they're going to be less stressed. You're going to be less stressed. They're going to have the tools and equipment. They're going to come back to you after that pet dies. Return rates to clinics is horrific after a euthanasia. People don't realize how many families they lose after a euthanasia. So if you start supporting them way in advance, it's going to be super helpful. If you have analysis paralysis from everything I say or whatever, and you're like, like there's too many things to do. Just do one thing and it's get information on how well I know it's time on your website. It is also at Lapa Love, the number one visited webpage. It's Never Long Enough is available on Amazon and at drmarygardner.com. That wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. It was an honor to share it with you. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends in veterinary medicine about us. Want a little more? You are in luck. An extended version of this podcast is available exclusively to our leaders community. You can learn more at vetxinternational.com. And until next time, I just want you to know, I appreciate you.